All right, how are we? What a sweet presence here today. Uh, I want to welcome you, those of you who are new maybe, you don't know who I am. My name is Brent, I'm uh, the senior pastor here. And it is a privilege to be able to, I just was thinking this before I, I was preparing my message. And I do want to welcome all of our locations too. I want to say hello to West, West St. John, uh, Nova Scotia and Halifax. Uh, awesome. I want to mention about Nova Scotia that Pastor Seth and Leanne welcomed baby Isla Hope Fancy early Saturday morning. And so we are celebrating with you in, Saint, in the Halifax. And last week we had our first PEI location uh, meeting where two families in a basement uh, watched, and that's pretty amazing. But I was just thinking, I'm so thankful. I just want to start, before I get into the Word today, you can go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to hang out there for a few minutes. And I'm excited about the Word God has given me, but I do want to just come with some gratitude and some thanks. I just feel a lot of gratitude, and I'm thankful today uh, that I get to preach, and I get to share the Word of God that He's given me. And some of you are so just kind, and you thank me all the time uh, for, for the messages. But I, I, I want to just say, I'm, this, is the, this is a joy of my life to get to share the Word of God with you on a weekly basis, and specifically, I am very excited uh, about this series here in Revelation that we're going to continue today. The title of my message is Seeing is Bliss, Seeing is Bliss, Revelation chapter 1. I just want to pray really quick, just wherever you are, uh, just that we can gather. I know that there's people probably stormed in today, there's people watching online. Are you grateful for technology? Are you thankful for it, that we can engage and that, that God's message is able to get beyond just the physicality of a messenger, but is voice can go out. I'm so thankful for it. I just want to pray really quick and then we'll dive in. So Father, thank you today. Wherever uh, we are gathered, you're there. And we thank you. That's a promise, Jesus, you made. And so we, we today are excited, not because there's a certain pastor, not because we're in a certain place, but because you're there. And that makes this moment eternally important and valuable and the potential is, is, is eternal and unlimited. And so Father, we pray now by the power of your spirit, would you open our eyes, Lord? Would this moment be true to the book in which we read? Would it be revelatory? And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You need to reset my clock. I'm going to need all 45 minutes. All right. There are two types of people in the world. There are people, I'm convinced of this, there are people who, when something is going to happen to them, their motto and mantra is ignorance is bliss. Is there anybody by a show of hands, all of our locations, even if you're watching in a basement today, who are my ignorance is bliss people? If you don't, if, you, if, you, if the information isn't going to be helpful, I'd rather not know. Is there anybody out there that's like that? Okay, we've got a bunch of controlled freaks at the Valley Campus. You're the other group of people who, you, that's, you know what? Knowing is half the battle for you. You want to know, like if you can know in advance, who are my people that you're control, who are my control freaks today? Wow, there's a lot of them, great. For me, I'm more of an ignorance is bliss guy, actually. When it comes to things that I can't control, things that are above me, greater than me, things that are forced upon me, if the information you're gonna share with me is not gonna be helpful to me in overcoming said challenge, you might as well keep it to yourself. I don't want to know. I am not the type of person who wants to know. Like, you ever meet some of those freaks who like Google or they YouTube the surgery they're about to have and they watch it? What is wrong with you? I, I remember I was, uh, I was talking to one of our, our pastors. Uh, he was about to have a procedure that certain males past the, uh, the child multiplication stage get. Uh, this pastor's name rhymes with Randy. And I was talking... <laughs> I was talking to him, and I, 
And I was like, hey, y'all ready for the big, the big decommission? And, uh, and, and he, he goes, oh yeah, I'm all ready. I'm no problem. I go, oh, you're feeling good, are you? And he goes, yeah, I, I went on YouTube and I watched it. I feel great. And I'm like, are you nuts? Which in hindsight is probably the bad choice of words. It's like, man, when I had that done, I didn't want to know. I, I had, pa literally, Pastor Adam drove me to the door. I went in, blinders on. And if it wasn't for the lady helping the doctor that said, hey, I love your preaching. <laughs> kind of a moment you want ignorance to be bliss. Uh, I would have just been in and out. I'm not a person that wants to know. I don't want to know. But here's, here's the funny thing about this little exercise about do you a person who wants to know when something is coming that you want to know all the information you can that maybe somehow you're going to get an advantage and maybe you're like me and you'd rather not know here's what I know to be true though these are both two sides of the same coin and there are times and situations in life that you and I get exposed to that once it comes upon us it doesn't really matter if you knew or you didn't know it inserts and imposes its will upon you and you just have to deal with it all of us have experienced that, haven't we? Today in Revelation, we're going to see that moment in Revelation chapter 1. If you're just joining us, we are now in the second week of a series where we're going through the book of Revelation. It's the last book in your Bible. It's a book that's caused a lot of confusion, a lot of misinterpretation, and a lot of fear. And I want to give you a forewarning that this is going to be a, a, an incredible moment in the book. And in fact, this is the scariest vision that we're going to see. This is the most intense moment of the entirety of the book of Revelation right in chapter one. You hit the peak right out the gate. So if you're the person who wants to know, this is gonna be really good for you. But it, just to catch everybody up, the book of Revelation we found, the word revelation means what? It means unveiling. It literally translates the word apocalypse. And apocalypse, we learned, doesn't mean necessarily a cataclysmic, catastrophic event bringing in the end of the world. The apocalypse is not the walking dead. We learned that last week that, in fact, apocalypse means unveiling. And that the purpose of the book of Revelation is to actually unveil and that we would see things. And we learned something else, that, that the point of it is that we would see Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, we would then recalibrate and re-see everything else. That he is the revelation and he is the light that shines on all other things. And so that is the main revelation that we want to see. We also found out that the purpose of this book was that it would provide grace and peace to all who hear. So it was never actually meant to terrify you. It was never actually meant to be something that caused us to not want to hear or not want to see. It's actually something that God gave as a form of grace and peace for all who hear. And in fact, we learned last week that it's so packed full of blessing that it, even those who read it, read it out loud and hear it and obey it are blessed. And so we're going to continue that tradition today and we're going to read some of it together. And today we pick up in chapter one. If you have a Bible, I'll have it on the screen here as well. In chapter one, I want to just start in and I'm going to unpack it. So let's read this together. All of our locations, West, Halifax, PEI, even if there's just four of you, let's do it in triumph. And let's read this together and then I'll stop and we'll unpack. It says this, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day 
and I was worshiping in the spirit. Now let's just stop there and let's see what this is getting at. So it says that I, John, your brother. Now there's different ideas about who this John is. There are some credible scholars that believe that this John was just another John, that he's not actually the John in the Bible. He's this uh, another John, a secondary John. There's some guys that are actually very smart, a lot smarter than me, that would say he's not John the Apostle. However, I want to submit this to you, that most of Christian history and the church, earliest church fathers and, and probably the predominant amount of biblical scholars would agree that John was in fact the same John that was in the gospel of John that he wrote. And he wrote the letters, first and second, third John, and that it is this same guy. And Christian history records, this isn't in the Bible, but Christian history records that this John lived to be old. He would have been about 90 years old at this time. And he was the, the last remaining apostle. He was the one that lived the longest. And in fact, he went through his, his fair share of suffering. And the, the, the Christian history tells us that he was arrested because he was the leader of this movement that at that time, Emperor Domitian was trying to snuff out. And he was taken. And actually, they tried to kill him at one point. They boiled him alive. And he lived through it. And so I don't know, we don't know whether it was mercy or the sovereign hand of God. Here's something I know, if you belong to God, he decides when you take your last breath. And he had work for John to do. And so Christian history records that John was actually put on this island called Patmos. And he was there when he had this great revelation. He's about to see, he's about to get the revelation. The revelation, the apocalypse is about to start. But I want to show you something really quick. That, that where the circumstances surrounding this, where this happened, and, and what was taking place when it happened. So it says, I, John, am there. And, and we pick up why he's there. He tells us. He was there because of the, the message of the gospel, for preaching the word of God and the testimony about Jesus. So you got that? He's there as a prisoner of Rome because he was a leader in the church. And now we find out he's on an island called Patmos. Now this is important. Patmos is a small little island. It's about, uh, about 10 kilometers wide and about 18 kilometers long, a little, little smaller than Gramanan Island. And it's out in the, the middle of the Greek Isles. It's just off the coast. This is modern-day Turkey. And it's out in the middle of the Greek Isles. And the Romans owned that island. And this was actually, at that time, a Roman prison island, kind of like their Alcatraz. This is where they would send revolutionary leaders and po uh, political threats, people who could mobilize people that needed to be separated from, from them. This is where they would send them. So this is Patmos. Patmos, here's an actual view of it. It's an island that still obviously exists today and people live on there. About 3,000 people, even to this day, live on Patmos. Now, what is it about Patmos that we need to understand? Well, I looked up a little bit about the geology and it gives us a beginning at the picture to understand what's going on here. And the geology of it is it's almost entirely volcanic rock. It's a place where it's really jagged and rough, and, and the rock, in, in fact, is fairly brittle. The, the shoreline and coastline is always e eroding and evolving and changing. The, 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 the ground itself is moving. It's, it's not so much a, a large piece, a large body of land, but it's very small, and it's very rugged and very harsh. It's a harsh spot. And here's the peculiar thing. The word patmos in Greek translates as tread. It's the treaded place. 
It's the place under the boot. It's, it's like to be under the foot. That is what the Greek literally translates, pateo. It means treaded. And so I'm thinking about this and looking at it as a geographical space. And, and it does look like a difficult island to live on. But if you think about in John's world and in John's life, like talk about being under the boot of Rome and under the boot of isolation and under the boot of separation and under the boot of being surrounded by miles and miles and miles of water that would just overwhelm and overtake you. You are stuck. That's Patmos. Patmos is the treaded place. It's the dreaded place. And now, you may never have been to that Patmos, but many of you have probably done time on a Patmos of sorts. It's the place that you can't get away from. It's the place where the ground beneath you begins to shrink more and more and more. Maybe you've been in an abusive relationship. And you can't get away from it and you can't get out of it. And in fact, it just gets, gets smaller and smaller and more and more overwhelming. That's, that's kind of what Patmos it, it means. You might have been in a broken situation, maybe in a broken marriage. And it's, things are just getting worse and worse. And there's, just, there's not land for miles other than this place. There's no escape. It's a place of no escape, of isolation, of desolation. It's a barren place. It's a lonely place. It's a place with no answers and no solutions. It's the treaded place, the dreaded place. That's Patmos. Some of you might have been on a Patmos of addiction. Can't get away from it. Can't escape it. Every time you try to run in one direction, it's just water everywhere you turn. There it is. And I went over there and there it found me again. That's what Patmos is. Maybe some of you, it's, it's your past. You can't escape. Maybe for some of you, you're literally surrounded by eroding land of your finances and debt is just overtaking you. I, I don't know what your Patmos might look like, but you know the feeling of being stuck in a situation that is bigger than you, greater than you, and you are at its mercy. See, that's Patmos. Some of you might be in that right now. I, I talked to a guy at the gym just this past week, just a guy I hadn't seen in a while. I said, hey, how you doing? And he says, honestly, I've been better. He goes, I, he's struggling with some mental illness. And he just said, it's, it's, it's literally hard to get up in the morning. My hope is shrinking. My desire to live is shrinking. My optimism is shrinking. My happiness and my joy is shrinking. Have you ever been on a shrinking island? That's Patmos. It's the treaded place. It's the dreaded place. And it's here, and I don't want you to miss this. It's actually here that the revelation happens. It's not on some high mountain. It's not in the temple. It's not at the Roman palace. It's not at some great and mighty space. It's actually at the most desolate, ex exclusive, cut, cut off, set apart place you can find. That's where John has this encounter that not only revolutionized him, but as we're going to see in the weeks to come, has revolutionized Christians for now thousands of years. It's that place that the grace of God reaches him. It's incredible. I just wanted to encourage somebody really quickly that there's, there's a connection. You need to understand this. There's a connection between the place of exile and revelation. That sometimes God actually will have to bring you into a place where everything is just apart and you've been set apart to see what he wants you to see. And there's also, I think it's important, uh, did you miss it? It said, I was exiled and then, then what happened? It says, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. And he's about to have the revelation, but it's important that you see this, that there is also a connection between this devotion and revelation. What was he doing? 
He, he was actually worshiping. He was, it, was on, it was a Sunday. He was worshiping and praising God. He was praying in the spirit. We're not really sure exactly what was taking place other than this. He was doing what he did every Sunday. Let me just say to somebody that you're on an island, you're in Patmos. This is not the time to let off going to church. There is a connection between devotion and revelation. And sometimes it's not until you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it out of pure devotion that the revelation comes. I've seen that so many times. I've seen it in our church. See people at the time they need to press in the most, they back away. See, John was in the rhythm. He was in the rhythm of his disciplines and his life. And this is when it happened. Okay, so, so I was in this place. I was on Patmos. And let us keep going. Says, suddenly, I heard behind me. Let's actually read this together. Are we ready? All of our locations. I want to make sure you're with me. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Great job on the pronunciation, y'all. I'm impressed. That was good. So he says, I'm praying. Just picture him. He's probably, he's probably down on his knees. And he's, he's off in his own little world, just, just worshiping and praying and praising God in the spirit. And then it says like suddenly, like it, the, the language doesn't do justice. You have to actually think for a minute and place yourself there. Have you ever been in a moment where, where it was like such a harsh interruption? Like I do with my son some mornings. I'll just go into his room and turn the light on and say, get up, right? I remember I was thinking this, this is so mean. I was, we, when I was in college, we, me and my friends used to like in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., we'd, we'd gather all the brass instruments we could find and, and cymbals and we'd, like, we'd sneak into someone's room and then we'd, just, we'd all like count to four. We just blast the trumpets and trombones and smashing cymbals and things 20-year-old boys do. I don't know why, but, but this is the picture. It, it kind of points to us that this is like a sudden interjection that he's off in his own little world and then a voice. It wasn't a trumpet blast. He's trying to use language. And we learned this last week. This is very important. We learned last week that this is a type of literature. When we're reading this, that this is a type of communication that we struggle with. We don't have any cultural equivalents for it. And a lot of the time, when people read Revelation, they miss the forest for the trees. And so don't read that and say, okay, there was a trumpet behind my head. That's not what it was. That's a pretty good trumpet, though, wasn't it? Like I had a good, pretty good mouth trumpet. That's not what it's saying. It's saying this voice was jarring. Like a trumpet came up behind me and just began to blast in my ear. So it's happening behind him and all of a sudden this, this just imposing voice blasts behind him. It kind of made me just think about the nature of life and have you ever just had a moment where all of a sudden the, the, the noises of your life were drowned out by a greater sound. Sometimes it's good. 
Like I think of Pastor Seth and Leanne right now. Like they're, they're in the stress of the pregnancy and now it's drowned out by the greater sound of a newborn baby. It's also been difficult seasons for many of us. The, the voices and the sounds of life drowned out by a greater sound. You know what I've noticed? And it, this is gonna go contrary to what our culture would tell us. I've noticed that like truth doesn't really bend for you. Have you noticed that? Like if something is true, it just at some point presents itself. I know we want to think in our culture in our day and age that like truth is this sort of relative, subjective, oh, you have your truth and I'll have my truth and we'll just be, well, you know, that's true to you and you tell your truth, right? Like, don't we do that? <laughs> but that's delusional, isn't it? Because have you ever encountered truth? It's, it's just not bending for you. It, it inserts itself upon you. It just says, here I am, deal with it. That's truth. Truth is completely objective. When something that is true bumps into something that is not as true, the truth super, supersedes and superimposes it. And that's kind of what you need to kind of get your head around. This is, this is where this is going. He's, he's experiencing this, and then all of a sudden, this great and mighty blast just comes booming behind him, and he is jarred by it. It's a jarring experience, and now let's keep going. I'll read this to you. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw, so I turned around and I saw seven gold lampstands. So he's having a vision now. He's seeing something that he hadn't seen. Now, he didn't see when he went to his place of prayer. He didn't walk through seven golden lampstands. This is appearing. His eyes are opening to something he hasn't seen. I saw seven golden lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like a mighty, like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as if I were dead. You know what's worse than being on Patmos? You know what's worse than being under the boot of Patmos? Is having the realization that there's a bigger boot. Like, like, let me say it like this. Have you ever had an experience where, like, you're going about your life and you're having your issues and maybe I'll say it like this. Have you ever had a problem that was big? You, you know, like you're, you're having a little marriage issue and then all of a sudden your child just goes off the rails and your little struggles you were having aren't so big anymore because this is an emergency. Or maybe you have little financial pressures, you're trying to make it all work, we're gonna save money so we can go on this vacation, and then she gets a diagnosis, and all of a sudden, that doesn't matter anymore. 
that's a small problem compared to this. You ever had a moment like that? It's amazing actually how life, like these, these greater realities can just burst down upon us. And you, you ever had a moment where you're just so consumed by your problems and then all of a sudden a bigger problem presents itself and they just, whew. like the only thing worse than Patmos is finding out there's worse things than Patmos. That's what's happening right here. He's having a moment where, you know, I thought this was crazy. I thought this was intense being on this island. I'm 90 years old, man. Like, what's a 90-year-old got to be doing out here on Patmos? And then all of a sudden, he has a revelation that makes him drop as though dead. Patmos wasn't making him drop as though dead. I don't know if you've ever, maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've seen it in the waiting room. Maybe you've seen it on TV. Have you ever seen someone get a piece of news or you see a doctor come out after having lost a patient and have to tell the family and say, I'm sorry, we did everything we could and they just drop. Have you ever seen that? Maybe you've done it. Like you, you had a moment where you just dropped. That's what this is. This isn't worship. This is Terror. He is terrified, awestruck, overcome, and undone at what he's seen. And I want you to think about this. Here's, here's the first thing I want you to grab today. This is going to be a very simple message, but I, I need you to see this. That when you see Jesus... Your first response when you see the real Jesus and you get a revelation of who God is, when you really get a picture, when you've had a genuine glimpse of the Lord Almighty, your response isn't to, to walk towards him. Your response is just like John. You want to get away. You want to escape. Can I get away? Can I get back to Patmos? Because this is too intense. That's what the Bible shows us. Every time there's a great, pure revelation of who God is, the reaction of the human being is to just drop or try to run because he's this just imposing reality that none of us can stand up against. We saw it in Isaiah chapter six. If we had time, we'd look at it. Isaiah sees the Lord, says in the year of King Uzziah, I saw the Lord, and it says he was high and exalted. And then it said, it said, woe, is me, I'm ruined. That was Isaiah's response. When he saw the Lord most high, his response wasn't, well, at first it was probably, wow, you're incredible. But then very quickly it shifted to, whoa, you're intense. And then as you Stand in the glory of who God is. What happens is you start to become aware of your own frailty, your own brokenness, your own dysfunction. And all of a sudden you see the inequity and incongruence between the holiness of almighty God and the holes and brokenness of who we are. That's the moment John's having right here. That's the moment Isaiah had. That's the moment Daniel had. When Daniel saw the Son of Man, it says, same thing, I fell down as though I was dead. We, we find John, the, John the, the Baptist, he says, you know, there is one coming in whose sandals I'm not worthy to tie. Like, don't make a mistake about this Jesus. Don't bring him down to your level. He is high and exalted. 
Peter, one time, he was fishing and he didn't realize who Jesus was. And then he had this revelation that you're the Christ. And when he realized that, his response was, I can't be near you. Why? I can't be near you. I need to get away. That is the response over and over. You see this. I know you don't want to hear this in church. You just hang with me. It's going to get real good in a minute. But there is a level of dread and terror when people see the Lord Almighty. Like he is no joke. It's not cute. It's not trite. It's not flippant. He is Lord Almighty. And it undoes people when they see him. I remember, I'll never be the same after reading this. Uh, a guy named A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, he says in The Problem of God, and this just shook me when I read it, and it just something clicked in my spirit where the, just the fear of the Lord began to, to, to rush in. It says all the problems, think about this. All of the problems of heaven and earth, though they were to confront us together and at once, would be nothing. All of the Patmoses, bankruptcy, cancer, infidelity, all of the fears, he said, they would be nothing, even together compounded, compared with the overwhelming problem of God, that he is, and what he is like, and what we as moral beings must do about him. The man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. You ever have a problem that was big? For he sees at once that these have to do with matters which at the most cannot concern him for very long. But even if the multiple burdens of time may be lifted from him, the one mighty single burden of eternity begins to press down upon him with a weight more crushing than all the woes of the world piled one upon another. That mighty burden is his obligation to God. It includes an instant and lifelong duty to love God with every, with every power of mind and soul, to obey him perfectly and worship him acceptably because he is perfect. And when the man's laboring conscience tells him that he has done none of these things but has from childhood been guilty of foul revolt against the majesty of heaven, the inner pressure may become too heavy to bear. This is the picture that John gets. This is the picture that John gets. Do we dare look closer? Let me, let me, let me break this down for us because I, I want us to see it. He, he sees something that you and I can just read past. It says, I saw someone like a son of man, someone like a son of man. That's actually referring, let's, let's break this down. That's actually referring to that it's God in the shape of a human. It's not a human, it's someone like a human. But this is God, this is fully God. This isn't even like a superhuman. Don't, don't think about Thor and all of his lightning. This is, Thor is like a goddish guy. Our heroes, this is not like a, a great human. This is God in the form of a human. This is the God-man. This is one like a son of man. He's not a man. He's like a man, but he's God. And he was wearing a long robe. A long robe. Now, what is that speaking of? It's speaking of his righteousness. That head to toe... 
I keep doing that. Oh boy, we got problems. Shay! Oh man, hang with me. I, wasn't I just thanking God for technology? I really, I really was. Here we go. All right. Thank you, Lord. All right. It says he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash. So the long robe is a, is a, it's a picture of his righteousness, his holiness, that head to toe, there's no spot or wrinkle on him. Um, it says with a gold sash across his chest. Now, that gold sash is a picture of his kingly authority, that he's a king. And it's, it's, it's cool that it says that the sash was not uh, around him, but it was actually across his chest, speaking to the fact that it's over his shoulder. And now, if he was a king that was going to war, he would not have that across his chest. It would be around his waist like a belt. But this is a picture of the fact of his supremacy, that he is an unrivaled king. He's got no territory to conquer, no challenger coming for him. He's, he's hung the gloves over his shoulder. The weapons are just a showpiece now. I've already done the damage. No one's coming for my throne. No one's coming for my crown. I just is. That's, that's what this is speaking to. And it says his head and his hair were as white as wool, as white as snow. Now, we should have a good feel for how white snow can be. Isn't it so, it's sometimes too bright to even look at. And now what that's actually speaking to, again, this is... Don't miss the forest for the trees. I'm not saying that John didn't see that, but it's speaking to something that it wants you to see more than the imagery. It's speaking to his eternality. It's speaking to the fact that he is omniscient. He's the ancient of days, the one who was always, who is presently and is to come, who was everywhere, is everywhere, and always will be everywhere, who had all power, has all power, and always will have all power, who knew all things, knows all things, and always will know all things. That's what it's speaking to, his eternality. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's no place he can't go. There's nothing that's, that he can't lift. In fact, he can't even exert energy. That would, that would actually connotate, connotate weakness. He is power. Then it says his eyes were like flames of fire. His eyes were like flames of fire. That, I know, I know y'all are thinking of, of like Sauron, aren't you? Like the eye of Sauron. That's, that's more, there's more going on than just intense. It's speaking, to, it's speaking to his wrath and justice. Let's keep going. Are you getting a picture? You're starting to see, I mean, in that moment why John would kind of collapse at it. And then it says his feet, now this is connected and we're gonna see this in a couple weeks. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And that's actually speaking to the moving nature of the holy fire of God. The fire that's in his eyes, it's portable and it moves to and fro. It's actually moving around, looking for that which it can devour. That's what it's speaking to. The fact that his feet, uh, some, of the, some of the language speaks to like molten gold. They're like on fire. And then it says, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. Again, the, us maritimers should have a good feel for what that sounds like. Have you ever stood by the ocean when it was so rough and the waves were so, so many, like 
that, that it just drowned out everything. And you couldn't hear one wave crash from the other. It was just constant rushing, crashing waves. You ever heard that? That's the analogy. And I think it's interesting that he was, he was literally on an island. Bear with me. He was literally on an island. And he's now saying that his voice was, was drowning out the voice of the waves around him. It's, it's quite incredible. And then it says he held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. So the stars in his hand, it speaks to his authority. It speaks to his capacity. Imagine one who holds stars in his hand. The one who created the universe at the sound of his voice. That's who this one is. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And that's a sp that speaks to his word. His word that cuts and divides and separates. When he speaks, it cuts through the pretension. It cuts through the lies. It cuts through the crap. And it just shows what is because his word is what is. That's who this is speaking to. And then it says, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance, which is speaking to the fact that I just couldn't look. You ever try to look at the sun? I see my optometrist back there. You shouldn't do that. Pro tip. Pro tip. You can't, you can't look at it. And that's what it's saying. It's just, he's saying it was, it was too much to look at. It was too much to look at. And here was his response. His response wasn't, Jesus! His response was, I fell down as though dead, but now watch this. I, this, is, this is what I wanted you to get to. This is really where I wanted you to, you to get to. And that old hymn says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace gives us revelation of the Lord strong and mighty of who he is and grace my fears relieved this is incredible just 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 place yourself there for a minute on the on the rocky land of Patmos, 90-year-old, frail little John under the weight of the grandeur of the almighty God in a heap on the ground, wishing he could escape the, the dread of that moment in all of his sinfulness, in all of his broken humanity, and it's in that moment, look at this, but he laid his right hand on me. What, what, would, what would he have to do to lay his right hand on him? He had to bend down and reach out. The right hand in their culture was the hand of my strength. The hand of my strength, the hand of my righteousness, the hand of my will. He laid his right hand on me and then look what he says. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I, I am everything you just saw and everything you just feared I am, I am. I'm the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. I'm the omniscient one, the omnipotent one, the almighty one. I am the ancient of days, the, the beginning and the end. I am who you say I am. I'm the living one. I even died and I hold the keys. So don't be afraid. 
John just saw the most terrifying thing he would ever see. And, he, and he's, about to, I mean, he's about to have a revelation. Just literally, in just a few verses, Jesus is going to say, come up here, I want to show you some things. And he's about to see heaven open. He's about to see the end times. He's about to see judgment poured out on the earth. I mean, he's going to see the four horsemen of the apocalypse and he's going to see the beasts and he's going to see Satan thrown into the pit. Like he's going to see intense things. But this is the most intense thing he'd ever seen was Jesus glorified. And yet in that moment, the thing at which he would fear the most, the thing that he could fear the most, the most intense, overwhelming, authoritative power in heaven and on earth reaches down and says, yeah, but you don't have to be afraid. There are two responses. There actually is one response. There is one response to the revelation of Jesus. When you see him for who he is, it's fear. It's grace that taught my heart to fear. And then when you realize, like John is about to, who he is, your fear is relieved. Now, if this, if this really is John the apostle. This is the same John that on the night Jesus was betrayed was in the upper room and Jesus is going to say, look, it's about to get real. It's going to be intense. I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to, I'm going to rise. You're going to see me ascend to heaven. It's going to be really intense. And yet here's what you need to know. He says, don't be afraid. Look, look what he says in, in, in John 16. He says, I've told you all these things so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. There will be Patmos after Patmos after Patmos after Patmos, but take heart because I've overcome the world. It's like that moment, this is gonna help a bunch of you that are like nerds and this is gonna hurt a bunch of you and I'm just gonna go for it. It's like that moment in Thor Ragnarok no, there's this moment where, where they're in this big stadium and, and they're, they're, Thor's about to have to face this mighty beast, this great champion. And everyone's like, they're like, they're like chanting for the champion and, and Thor's a little freaked out because he's gonna have to fight this massive champion. And then the door opens and it's the Incredible Hulk and, and everyone's cheering and then it just, it just dissipates and all of a sudden you hear Thor go, yes, I know him. I know him from work, he says. He's like, that's my friend. See, if I wasn't friends with him, this would be very, very bad. But that's my friend. I know him. And this is, this is what I wanted you to see in this. This is that, that, that seeing Jesus, it absolutely humbles you and clarifies everything. And yet when you know him, what happens is it brings assurance and peace. You see, if the greatest power in heaven and on earth is for you, then what do you have to fear? If the one who could at the sight of him make you drop as though dead, if he would not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead give up his divine privileges, stoop down to earth and reach out and absolutely take on us as not just his project, but his passion and scoop us up into his loving arms. And what on earth should we fear? If, if he is for us, who can be against us? 
It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relieved. You see, John writes this and he says, I write this to bring you grace and peace because I have seen the most terrifying sight and he's beautiful. And, and here's the crazy thing, this changes everything. Like, let's look back again at that revelation. You think after John had that revelation that it's him, it's Jesus. All of a sudden, you start thinking back through that vision. You think of the one like a son of man. You think of the one who actually put on flesh the God who, who wanted to know his creation and became his creation and touched blind eyes and hugged lepers and washed feet. He's that son of man. You think of the fact like it speaks to his long robe, his righteousness that he imputed upon us and shared to us. That's who this God is. You think of his gold sash, the one who ruled his government is without end, whose, whose peace is without end. That's this king. That's who he is. You think of the one with eyes of fire. All of a sudden, that same intensity that looks like wrath now looks like passion. For me, for you, that's who this king is. Voice like many waters. It's amazing how calming the ocean can be, even though it's something that could swallow you. Isn't it? It's just incredible. I, I got thinking about, well, let me give you, I got thinking about when my daughter was first born, she's, she's my oldest, so, so I'm still trying to figure out whether she actually had colic or that was just us learning how to be parents, I'm not sure. It was a really tough three months, and actually we had three kids, so I'm pretty sure she had colic. She just... From the time she came out until like the three-month mark, she just was uncomfortable and screeching all the time, all the time. <laughs> and I'll never forget, though, like learning how to comfort my baby girl. And I actually watched the entirety of the 2008 Beijing Olympics through the night. I, you haven't lived until you've watched Belarus versus South Africa in table tennis at 3.30 a.m. <laughs> you just haven't. So, so I was thinking back though, and I was, remembering, I was remembering what I learned how to do with her when she had colic. She, we'd lay her in her, bed, in her crib, and she'd just squirm, and her little arms would go everywhere, and she's, her belly was hurting, and she'd screech and cry, and she's so uncomfortable. And so I, we learned the trick of swaddling, and we'd come up, and we would, just, we would just pin her. I'd put her little arms down beside her, and I'd take that blanket. I wrapped her so tight. Don't judge me. I would just... <laughs> so just her little head was poking out. She couldn't move her arms or anything. Just over, I overwhelmed her little strength. And then I would pick her up, just like a little pea in my arm. I'd just pick her up, and I'd go and stand in front of the Olympics, <laughs> in front of the TV, and I'd just bounce her like this for hours, like hours. And that would help settle her a little bit, but she wouldn't go to sleep. She'd just sit there and stare at me, just look at me while I bounced her. And uh, it wasn't until I learned this trick where I would... I'd bounce her, and then I would, I would start going, shh, 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 and I couldn't take a breath. I had to keep it simultaneous on a vocal loop, because if I took a breath, she'd start crying again, or she'd wake up. So just, shh, shh, 
And I bounce and bounce and bounce and my voice would just overwhelm her. So she couldn't hear anything else. I got thinking about it like it wasn't until she surrendered to not only my authority over her, but my love to her that she would sleep and she could rest. And now I still had to rock her all night, but I got thinking about this. It just just occurred to me before it came up. Like there's, there's one response to who this God is and it's surrender. Surrender to the fear of the Lord. Listen, you can have all the delusions of your own grandeur all day long. There will come a point where you come into a cataclysmic encounter with the living God. And the Bible says every knee will bow. That is not an option. You will someday, I don't care how defiant you think you are, someone drug you out here, you will someday stand before the one whose eyes burn with fire and you will bow down before him. You will surrender. But it's funny how that surrender can take two terms, can take two meanings. You can surrender begrudgingly or you can just surrender and rest. Surrender to his love. Surrender to his goodness. Surrender to his kindness. You see, John, John in his gospel, he kept referring himself to himself as the one who Jesus loved. I think that moment he saw that terrifying sight, and then when Jesus reached down and touched him, he's like, it's you. It's you. Show me what you want. We'll go through what you want if I've got you. Because you're greater than Patmos. You're greater than my fears. You're greater than this struggle we're going through. You're greater. Those things are temporary. And if the problem of God is on my side and he is my solution, what can I be afraid of? Here's the simple message. See Jesus. Be afraid. And then don't be afraid. Because he is for you. Not only in lip service, but he took on the ultimate Patmos. He bore every single Patmos. He took on death itself bore our sin, bore our shame. This is what Paul was getting at. Go home and read Romans 8 this week. It says it all. It says, how could he who didn't spare his own son, not also along with him, graciously give us all things? He's not holding anything back. Those eyes fully desire you. I just pray, I'm going to pray for you right now, every, every location that the Spirit of God would cause your heart to fear in such a way that the problem was big. Cancer isn't big compared to him. Your marriage struggles aren't too big for him. Your illness is not too big for him. The unknown is not too big for him. 
Your addiction is not too big for him. I pray, and I'm gonna pray, that God would open your eyes and teach your heart to fear the great and mighty, high and lifted up, exalted God, and that as you see him, you'd see the eyes that burn with passion and desire. You'd hear the voice like many waters. just surrender and rest to his might and his goodness. So Father, thank you today for who you are. Thank you that you are greater. Your grace and your power is greater than all my fears. Father, I pray for the one here today who needs a revelation of the fear of God, that they would see you high and lifted up, that their, their vision of you, Father, forgive us for, for small caricature, idle vision of who you are, Lord. Would you, like, would you give us that moment where we see you that would cause us to humble ourselves, to lay down our crowns, to allow your glory to inspect us. And that in that, Lord, in our, in our heap, in our humanity, we'd feel the hand of the Almighty, the right hand of God as he reaches down to us, scoops us up and says, shh. Or for the one who's going through a difficult situation and they're squirming and crying and not comfortable, God, I pray that today, just by the power of your spirit, you'd scoop them up and they'd feel that assurance come around them and they'd feel that strength come around them. Even in the unknown, they'd feel that confidence and that capacity and that goodness and the love of a father who's got them. I pray that would be revealed in Jesus' name. Good, good Jesus' name, amen.